Hey everybody, it's Mike. Welcome or welcome back to the Revision Church Podcast. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the Revision app, which is actually the best way to get access to new content and share it with friends. You can get the app by texting Revision App to 77977. Thanks for listening today. My hope is that this message will be helpful for you and would inspire you to take the next step on your faith journey. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors at Revision. I'm excited to be here today. How are you? All right. So this week, my twins were watching YouTube, and they got inspired to try some basketball trick shots. So they went out to the driveway and put a toy hoop under our normal hoop and then put a laundry basket under that and said, Dad, you got to make a free throw through both hoops and then land it in the laundry basket. I don't know if you guys have ever tried to make a double basket that lands and sticks inside a laundry basket, but it is not easy. We tried and failed again and again for about 10 minutes before Tommy declared, it's impossible. I shot him an angry look and said, never tell me the odds. And both twins kind of looked at me weird, and I realized I'm pretty much a failed parent because it's been eight years and I haven't made him watch Star Wars. That is my favorite moment and my favorite line from the entire series of movies. Han Solo is about to navigate the Millennium Falcon through an asteroid field, and C-3PO says, sir, the probability of successfully navigating this is 3,725 to 1. And Han looks at him and says, never tell me the odds. And then he nails it, just like... I nailed that trick shot about five seconds after Tommy said it couldn't be done. Highlight of my week. That or my 16th wedding anniversary. But like, a lot of people can be married for 16 years. Not everybody can make a triple basket. So, you know. But seriously, though, I think sometimes in life, when we face situations that feel impossible, it's easy to get so intimidated that we just don't try to conquer them at all which is fine and maybe even smart when they're inconsequential. Like in grad school, I had a buddy who refused to ride a canoe down a snowy hill with me because he calculated a 100% chance it was going to hit a tree. Turns out he was correct, but I hopped out of the canoe before it hit the tree, so everything was fine. Like it's okay not to do stupid things when the probabilities suggest they aren't going to go well for us. But the problem is we often use that exact same metric to avoid doing important things when it seems like they're going to be difficult. To like avoid doing things that really matter, things God clearly wants to see happen in the world, things he's put us right here, right now, to change. And the thing is, that's what ordinary people do. That's a profoundly human response to obstacles, but ordinary heroes think differently. We're in the middle of the series called Ordinary Heroes, where we're taking a look at some characters in the Bible who are a lot like us, just like you and me. They didn't have any secret sauce or any superpowers that made their challenges less challenging, but somehow they were able to change the world anyway. And it's because in the moments and the spaces and the places that really mattered, when the future they believed God wanted for the world was on the line, they were just bold enough to live like Han Solo. Like the mission mattered more than the math, whether they were successful in the eyes of the world or not. And what I hope this morning is that all of us can walk out of here convinced that we can do that exact same thing. Because we are not stepping toward the giants and the mountains and the obstacles in front of us alone. And because the mission really does matter more than the math. I just believe at the core of who I am that there are things that are important 
that God wants to see happen in the world that he stamped our names on, that he stamped your name on. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God prepared them in advance because that means for every single one of us, if we're going to live into the fullness of our created, created purpose, we have to find the thing God made us to fight for. We got to find that space where we stop hiding and stop running and put a stake in the ground. There will come a time where we got to quit desperately trying to be what the world wants us to be and choose instead to be who God created us to be by standing in bold relief against the backdrop of a hostile culture that conspires to keep broken people broken, lost people lost, hurting people hurting, lonely people alone, and people living in darkness from ever seeing the light. There's a catch though. Living like that isn't easy. It means ignoring the odds because they're never very good. One of my favorite people in the Bible lived like that, though. And I think there's some things in his story that can pave the way for us to live like that, too. He's a guy who's, who's not a household name. He's not very famous. Not a lot of people know him. But he's one of David's mighty men. There's this group of warriors and generals who rallied around David known as the Gibberim. It literally means the, the brave ones. And the crazy, amazing thing about the Gibberim is that they were not originally drawn from the elite special forces unit of the Israeli army. And they weren't like Navy SEALs who jumped ship on King Saul and went over to King David's side after, you know, Samuel said David's going to be the next king and Saul said, not if I can put a spear through him. Ha ha ha. Like they weren't soldiers who switched sides and they weren't born brave. The Bible actually tells us this is a group of guys who showed up distressed, discontented, and in debt and rallied around David and eventually kind of changed the world. And what I love about that so much is that as I talked this morning about like creating a better future, finding this place where God is tugging at your heart to stand and make a difference, some of us think, yeah, yeah, yeah but not me. I, I can't do that. I know God made some people to be difference makers and some people to be courageous, but I've never been courageous a day in my life. I'm full of fear and I'm, just, I'm, I'm painfully average. And we convince ourselves that there has to be something special inside us before God could ever use us to make a difference in the lives of the people around us. But that's not true. The gibberim showed up distressed discontented and in debt. And for some of you, that's like, that's my life story. I'm all three of those things right now. (laughs) Good news. Good news. If that's you, if it resonates at all, it's not about how they showed up. It's about how they ended up. It was the character God formed in them as they took one step after another step after another step toward him in faithfulness, in community with one another, that rerouted their futures and equipped them to live into the lives and the purposes for which they were made. And my favorite one's a guy named Shammah. Read about him in 2 Samuel chapter 23. And so if you got a Bible or a Bible handy, you can crack it open to 2 Samuel. If you hit 1 Samuel, keep going. If you hit Kings or Chronicles, go back. In 2 Samuel, we read this, this list of, of the Gibberim, the mighty men of David. And in verse 11, we hit Shammah. It says this, next to him was Shammah, son of A.G., the Herorite. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. But Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it, struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory. 
It would be easy in the middle of this list to kind of skip over this little detail about a moment in Shama's life, but it stops me in my tracks every time. I mean, just try to imagine it. Try, try to picture this moment. You got the Philistine army gathered on the edge of a field full of beans, ripe and ready for the harvest. And the Israelite army on the other side, looking over full of fear at the size of the Philistine army, both in numbers and in stature. This is a warrior tribe. They're the people of Goliath. And the Israelites just feel this crippling anxiety well up inside of them until it hits their throats and they swallow hard and tuck tail and run. And the reality is running isn't solving anything. That fight is still coming on down the line. Someday they're going to have to fight the Philistines that are be enslaved. But today they run and they live, except Shammah. As everyone flees, here's Shammah, the man who stands alone between two armies. One that's hastily retreating and the other that's hungry for a fight. And I got to imagine as the Philistines watched the Israelites run away, they got pretty excited. Like pretty fired up that they didn't have to fight that day. They're cheering and high-fiving and fist-bumping. They're like, all right, huzzah, the day is ours. We've won the beans. Like whatever they were saying. And then one weirdo walks into the middle of the field and draws a sword. Like, what would go through your mind if you're the enemy army and everyone else runs away and one guy just stands there and points at you? Like, clearly this is a guy with a death wish. I'm sure they sent one guy out to fight him first, their champion, and after Shammah struck down the champion, they sent a few more. And after they all lay there in the bean field, the entire army rushed him until those who had lost their taste for blood turned and fled the day Shammah made his stand in the field full of lentils. And what field? Or why that field? We don't know. We have no idea why he decided that that was the day and that was the field where he would stand. All we know is that Shama had what I like to call a Popeye moment. You guys have heard me talk about this before. I loved watching that show as a kid at my grandma's house because Popeye, whenever his lady olive oil was in trouble, he'd eventually get to the point where he said, that's all I can stand and I can't stand it no more. And then he would chug a whole bunch of spinach and he would fight anybody and everybody who stood between him and olive oil. He just handled his business. And I love it because Shammah in this moment looks out at this field that represents not just his family's food, but also his nation's future. This field that the Philistines are going to rob and he has a Popeye moment. He says, that's all I can stand and I can't stand it no more. And the thing is, I kind of love it that it's in this field of, of beans that are like kind of ready to be harvested. Because I think most of us love to stand in the middle of the harvest. We love to do things for God when it's easy, in the middle of the bounty and in the middle of the blessing. And we feel really good about that. But the enemy will always turn a harvest field into a battlefield. And what will we do then? Will we stay? Will we stand and will we fight? You guys, we will always have a decision to make at the crossroads between courage and compromise, and nobody will ever blame us for running. Like Nobody would have blamed Shammah for bailing on that situation. Nobody, because that's what everybody else did. He would have been simply joining the legion of cowards who ran away and could get together later and be like, we had to run because the odds were real bad. But Shammah said, I will not run. Don't tell me the odds. 
Never tell me the odds. I have a vision of the future God has promised us inside my soul, and I would rather die fighting for that vision than live settling for anything less. One way or the other, I am not moving from here. This is amazing moment, but the inconvenient thing about it, the really annoying thing about jerks like Shammah is they kind of wreck the narrative for the rest of us. One person choosing to live a heroic life ruins our ability to tell this story about how we had to run away because the odds weren't very good and there wasn't really a choice other than the choice that we made and then it was impossible to do anything different than what we did. I think the crazy thing is, even if he had died out there, which was by far and away the most likely outcome of this fight, right? It was the moment he stood his ground that changed everything. Because he raised the bar so high that none of the soldiers who ran away could ever sit around a campfire saying, we had to run, there was no other choice. Because eventually some little kid would have come up and said, okay, but where's Shama? And Shama didn't run, I think, because he realized that running for your life isn't very valuable if the life you end up with isn't worth living. If your choice is between the life you were made for and settling for some sort of a lesser life, then the lesser life might not be worth running toward. I think so often we avoid situations that feel difficult or situations that feel impossible. I do anyways. When the odds are bad, I just pray that God would either change the odds or reassign me. Just send me in a different direction because fear begins to well up inside of me and it just cripples me. Fear's a bully. It so dominates the thoughts that we have and the decisions that we make that I sometimes wonder if for a lot of us, Where we are and who we've become isn't a bigger product of what we're running away from than what we're walking toward. I think we know it. But I'm convinced that retreat is a space where regret lives and grows and festers. But God wants something bigger and better and more for us. He wants us to find the places that we decide are worth fighting for, the places where we will stand our ground. And he wants us to have big enough faith to trust that he will meet us there. Because bad odds lead to big miracles. Bad odds lead to big miracles, you guys. That's that's the story of this church. It's kind of crazy. In the last two weeks, I've had five different conversations with people in the church planting world. One of them who's done it for about 20 years, one who's done it 10 years, one who's two months in, and two of them who've been doing it for about as long as I've been alive. And Randomly, all five of those conversations weaved around to the fact that we did everything wrong at Revision. Like, we dropped into a new city with a handful of people and started a church a couple months later with almost no money. We managed a launch team of 23 adults and 19 people, and there are a couple other people who joined up early. And for all my life, I will love those people and be grateful for them because they went all in and they sacrificed big in order to make some stuff happen. But that is less than half as many people as you're supposed to have to start a church. And we planted in this old part of the city, not the hip urban core and not a place where developments were going or houses were being built. And by every metric on church planting, it never should have got off the ground. And I remember the godfather of the network who launched us and coached us having this conversation with me once. And he's like, Mike, you're doing so many crazy things that are not by the book that I can't even count 
anything about revision for a year and maybe two years because it's going to mess up all the data that I have about how to plant churches. You're throwing off all my statistics and I I won't do it, but I, I want you to know, I think this is faithful. I think you're stepping toward what God is calling you to, but you got to know going in, he might be like just prepping you for something totally different than you think he's prepping you for. It might be something down in the future and not this thing going. You just have to understand the odds are not good. I'll never forget. He looked me in the eye and said, the odds are not good. Unless God's in it, right? God can change any odds. Bad odds make for big miracles. They did for Shema and they can for you too. And so the question is, where is your field of lentils? Where's God tugging at your heart, asking you to take a stand and fight? And the thing about that place is is that it, it might not be an important place in the grand scheme of the world. And the fight that you fight might not make you a heroic household name who gets remembered for generations and generations. Almost nobody in the world knows Shema existed. It's not a household name. And we don't even know where this field was that he fought in. Also, in the grand scheme of things, beans are delicious, but they're not that important. Like, never in my life, you guys, not one time have I said, mmm, these beans are to die for. And literally meant I would die for beans. Like a steak, maybe, but beans, eh. I don't think you would either, but Shema risked his life for the beans because that's where God tugged at his heart to fight and that's where God said he'd meet him and God worked through him to win a great victory. And I'm convinced that when he showed up later and rejoined the rest of the army, covered in the blood of his enemies, there wasn't a single word that needed to be said because he had changed the game. God had accomplished through one what he would have accomplished through many. And the thing that blows my mind about this is like the whole history of the church, of God working in and through his people to set things right and to make things new for thousands of years, all the billions of people's eternities that have been rewritten because they crashed into the people of Jesus, all of that has been built on the backs of ordinary people who trusted so much that God is who he promises he is that they stood and fought in the ordinary fields he called them to. And so for you and me, I think the, the question is, what is our ordinary field? What is that space that God carved out where he wants us to make a stand and make a difference? And, and will we fight for it? I promise you this is true because it's a quote from the world's best boss, Michael Scott. That's so how you know it's good, right? You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. I think he said that. He thinks he said that. But anyways, like, this was my mindset in fourth grade. There was a bully at my school. He was a fifth grader, and he just, he would never get out in Foursquare, and he was mean, and he picked on people. And one day, he got out in Foursquare, but he wouldn't leave his square, and a girl told him, I'm going to tell the teacher on you. And he called her a really mean name, and then he stood in line right next to me, and he started saying, you guys are all wimps. Whatever. I don't care anyway. No one's going to touch me. No one's going to touch me. I was like, I am. I'm sick of this kid. I elbowed him straight in the stomach, and he keeled over. And he caught his breath, and he stood up and punched me square in the mouth. And he was, like, he was ready to fight, and I just looked at him. I said, sorry, man, I shouldn't have elbowed you, but you got to quit being a bully. It's really annoying, and I'm sick of it. And he kind of shocked him, and he, he blinked, and he's like, sorry. Sorry I punched you. I said, ah, we're even. I think we deserved it. And then after that, we became really good friends. He's like one of my friends all the way through the rest of my elementary school years. It was great, and that was be a great example of kids working out their own problems, except for somebody got word and told the teacher we were fighting, and the teacher's like, you guys are fighting. We're like, nah, uh She's like, well, you're 
bleeding. Son of a gun. So we got to go to the principal. But anyways, here's the big idea. Not the greatest example, but when you find the ground that you're willing to stand on, don't be a turd about it like fourth grade Mike. He did not get the method right, okay? But do be bold about it. Because it's going to take a little bit of bold action to change a world that desperately doesn't want to change. You guys, even if the odds are bad, the mission matters more than the math. You were born to write a better story for all the people you crash into. Like Shama stared across a field at an enemy army knowing full well that this was likely his last day on planet Earth. But he also knew who God was. And he knew who God made him to be, and he knew what faithfulness to God looked like. And so he trusted the outcome to God and stepped into the moment God had placed right in front of him. And I can't help but read this story and wonder how many times we stand on the precipice of a moment where God wants to do something big in and through us where he's ready, but we aren't. We're just too scared to do it, and we don't want to. And God is desperately waiting for us to have the kind of faith that Shema had, the kind of faith to make our stand. And I wonder, too, like, where those moments occur. And if that's not the reason, maybe you're in that job that you hate. Maybe you're surrounded by all those people that drain you. If that's not the reason you live next to that difficult neighbor while you're in that class or that school or that office that you desperately want to escape. I think when, when we find ourselves in those situations, it's easy to shake our fist at God and be like, oh, why are you punishing me? But maybe God's not punishing you. Maybe God is posturing you. Sometimes difficult challenges are God's way of posturing you, not punishing you. It's him getting you ready for the thing that he wants to do in the world through you because he knows that the people around you need you. And if you will stand, he will meet you there. So one thing I've realized about people is they, they tend to need to see God through other people. God reveals himself through all of creation, right? Th- through a sunset. It points to the beauty and the majesty of the creator. But I think people don't usually sit around and be like, oh man, look at the purples and the, and the reds and the orange and the yellow. God can change my life. Like maybe, sometimes, maybe somebody's done that, but it's not a natural thought process. But what people do is look at other people and say, man, if God could show up that way for her, if God could do that through him, maybe, just maybe, God will show up that way in my life too. And it's so easy to hear stories like Shamas and think, yeah, but I could never do that. That's not who God made me to be. Like he's a different level of being human than I've ever been. I'm afraid to risk my comfort for God, let alone my life. And we convince ourselves that God could never use us in any meaningful way until we reach some sort of like higher heroic spiritual plane. Like I'll stand my ground later after I figure out how to live perfectly. I'll jump in the fight once I got my life all ironed out. But you guys, your wounds and your scars are the evidence for the people around you that God can do something beautiful in a broken life. So stand up and be honest and vulnerable. People can only see how God made you whole if they know how you've been shattered. Like what a tragedy if God changed your life and nobody saw it. That's part of what's amazing about Shama's story. Part of the beauty of it is that he didn't end up the way he showed up. 
that he was transformed over time into the kind of person that could fight in that field of lentils. Remember, the Bible tells us he showed up at David's side, broke, and bummed out. Like disconnected, depressed, discontented, looking for meaning because he wasn't sure what his purpose was. He wasn't sure if he even had one. So he's like, whatever, I'll go on this adventure. I'll join this David guy. And along the way, as he took one step after another step after another step toward God, he discovered what that purpose was. And ultimately, he changed the world. 3,000 years later, we're sitting here talking about the day he took his stand in a bean field. I think for you and me, purpose is found in that exact same way. I mean, some of you sitting here, some of you watching online right now, you know exactly what yours is. As I talk about finding the place God is tugging at your heart to make a difference, finding the field of lentils that, you're, that you'll stand in, as I talk about like your Popeye moment, what inspires you as you look out at this shattered world to say, that is all I can stand and I can't stand no more? Some of you know exactly what that is, exactly where God is calling you to step into the fight. And the only thing you need is the courage to walk out of here and do it. And my prayer this morning is that you will find that, that God will fill you with it and use you to make a difference in that space. But I think for a lot of us, we probably don't know. We're sitting here thinking, yeah, I, I want to make my life count for something bigger and something more than just my life. I, I want to make a, a difference and I, I want to spend myself for the cause of something that's bigger than me, but I don't know what it is. Like God hasn't revealed to me yet what, what my bigger, grander purpose is, and it's easy when we don't know and we haven't figured that out to just assume that God doesn't want to use us at all, that he doesn't have anything really coming down the line for us. But I think we need to take our cues from Shammah. Because you guys, the day he stood as the lone man between two armies was not the first day he stood on a battlefield. The day he drew his sword was not the first time he'd ever held it. The day he made his stand was not the first day he listened for the voice and the calling of God and stepped toward it. It was the culmination of something God had been doing in him for a while. His ability to live with a courage that's beyond the courage most human beings have ever lived with for even one second of their lives is something God had been shaping in him one step at a time for a really long time. And God was able to win this, this massive victory through him and change the future for his people because he'd been allowing God to shape him along the way. And so my challenge to, to myself, to all of us this morning, is this: take the next faithful step. God's way of getting you where he wants you to go, God's way of shaping in you the character he wants to shape in you, God's way of helping you get from who you are to who he made you to be is not a decade at a time. It is one faithful step at a time. So take the next faithful step and then the next one and then the next one because you guys, heroes are not born. They are not born. And they're not made in leaps and bounds. Heroes are forged in the fire of one faithful step at a time. And if you're thinking, okay, I'm ready. I'll take the next faithful step. What is the next faithful step? Let me hand you one this morning. I will hand you your next faithful step. Grab your connection card. Sign up for Reach Des Moines next Sunday. Sign up for, for Reach Des Moines. That's it. I know it's easy to skip out. It's easy to make excuses. Like, oh, we have just such a crazy busy week. We got a lot going on in the afternoon. I, was, oh, man, I, just, I think we're going to sleep in next Sunday, get a little bit of rest. 
It's easy to be like, oh, it's hot out. I hate the heat. I, might not, I get dehydrated easily, so I probably better not serve next week. It's easy to be like, I don't even feel like a hero when I do it. We just do all these little things, and maybe the employees of the organizations, then they can do big things. They get to be heroes, but I don't know if it matters when I'm there or not. Like, I know that it's easy to make a million excuses not to do it. I know that because I've thought them I've thought them about showing up next week. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. I think like, it's easy to do that and, and to find ourselves in that space. But I'm convinced so many of us are living life like David's mighty men before they showed up. We're just disconnected and we're discontented because there's this hole in our souls that's searching for some sort of purpose. And we pray, God, what is my purpose? What do you want me to do with this season and this situation that I'm in? What are you actually trying to do in my life? Where are you leading me? What is the mountain that you want me to conquer? And God's looking at us saying, what I want for you right now is to go stand on that molehill. Just try to love your wife better this week than you did last week. Love your husband better this week than you did last week. Spend some quality and quantity time with your family with me. Invite your neighbor to church. Sham fought a whole army. I'm not asking you to do that. It's not even hard. Just, just invite them. Do your best at work, even though your boss is your least favorite person on earth, as an act of worship to me. Give three whole hours of your life to serving the city so the people around you can flourish. Sign up for Rich Des Moines next Sunday. And I think if you guys are anything like me, we hear that and we get that from God. We're like, yeah, 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 yeah. That stuff's cool. And it's really easy. I'll do it sometime. I'm not going to do it this time, but I'll, I'll do it sometime. And like, I'll get around to that. But what I really want is the bigger purpose thing. And like, I really will do all that stuff eventually. I'll do it next time, but not this time. But like, I don't, that's just, okay, okay, okay. But what is the mountain that you have for me? What I think God wants to say to you and to me this morning is I cannot trust you with the mountains until you're faithful with the molehills. You are not who you need to be yet to stand when it gets hard. It'll crush you. Heroes are made one molehill at a time, so take the next faithful step. Like sign up for recent one. I think if we do it, as we do it, as we continue to take the next faithful step, whatever it may be, God will begin to transform us into the people he dreamed us up to be. He'll begin to build in us the character we are going to need someday in order to stand when it gets difficult. And he's not going to crush us with that challenge until we have that character. It'd be a cruel thing for him to do, but I want you to know this this morning. God has a purpose and a plan for every single one of your lives, and he's inviting you toward it, one faithful step at a time. I think the opposite of that, like if, if we don't do it, if we won't take that step, the opposite of taking like a faithful step is not taking like a massively unfaithful step. For us, mostly the choice isn't between like good or horrible evil. It's not like next Sunday, should I do reach Des Moines or should I commit armed robbery to come and go? tomato tomato it's a hard choice like for most of us the choice isn't going to be between good and evil it's going to be between good and nothing our purpose problem has less to do with our blatant sin than it does to do with our latent faith just eh. like doing nothing isn't actively sinful or actively wrong it's just passively choosing to sit by in a moment that's crying out for someone to do something. And it may not be today, and it may not be this week, but I promise you, someday, somewhere along the line, God has a moment like that waiting for you, a moment where he will call you to draw your sword and make your stand. And the odds will be stacked against you. 
3,725 to 1. But the thing about bad odds is they result in either big excuses or big miracles. It kind of just depends on how big your faith is. So if you want to be ready when that moment comes, ready to say, never tell me the odds, the mission matters more than the math. No matter what happens, I'm leaving the results in God's hands, but here I make my stand. If you want to be ready for God to work through you, to do the things he dreamed you up, knit you together, and put you on this planet to do, then you got to take the next right step because heroes are made one faithful step at a time. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for inviting us in to what you're doing to make things right and make things new. Thank you for letting us be a part of this grand thing you're doing to draw the world to yourself. And I pray that you'd fill us with courage this morning because none of us have enough of it on our own. None of us can walk out into this broken world and muster up the courage we need to be who you created us to be. And so I pray, Lord, that you'd fill us with a sense of your love and a sense of your presence and a sense of your purpose. And I pray that you'd help all of us to just keep taking that next right step. It's frustrating sometimes not to be able to see a mile ahead or two miles ahead, but sometimes you just give us one step. Lord, would we be faithful in that in a way that allows you to shape us, to transform us, to shape us into the people you need us to be so that you can do through us what you want to do through us. And we just thank you for loving us enough to not give up on us in our moments of panic, in the moments where we've retreated, in the moments where we've fled. Thank you for still being present in our lives. Thank you for still inviting us into purpose. Thank you for letting us be a part of making this world everything you made it to be, of inviting people into your love. Lord, we have the courage to do that this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.